Welcome to the Pause Purpose Play podcast with me, Michaela Thomas, clinical psychologist, couples therapist, and founder of The Thomas Connection. I help high-striving busy people let go of the pressure of perfection to create more joy, connection, and compassion in their lives. On this podcast, we promote balance of a burnout through giving you the permission to pause, the curiosity to find your purpose, and the courage to play. Welcome back to the Pause Purpose Play podcast with me, Michaela Thomas. In this episode, I'm going to be talking to a fantastic psychologist about how we can nurture our children's emotional intelligence. And as you can imagine, it's quite hard for me to find an hour here and there to record this podcast whilst I'm having a young baby. So I would love it if you can show me the support in sharing these episodes, telling other people about it, rating and reviewing the podcast to make sure that it has visibility. Because at the moment, if I'm really honest, I don't have the time to do it. I don't have the capacity to do it, but I still want to do these episodes because sitting here talking to amazing clinicians, psychologists, therapists, coaches, experts is part of my purpose. And I'm really enjoying that one hour when I sit with someone, having that connection. So please do me the favour of sharing these episodes and giving me a good rating. Today I'm going to speak to Dr Anne Lane, who's a clinical psychologist and family therapist. For more than 20 years she's worked in mental health, within both the NHS and her own private practice. Anne's new book, Nurture Your Child's Emotional Intelligence, Five Steps to Help Your Child Cope with Big Emotions and Build Resilience, looks at how our child's emotions grow and develop and what we can do as parents to support this. Now, if you're not a parent, this is still a relevant episode for you because we'll be talking about how important it is to tune into your own emotions as well, how you can foster emotional intelligence in yourself, especially if you grew up being told to be a good girl, having that narrative or script that you must not express anger or have a meltdown or make a fuss, those kind of things. And if you are a parent, this is going to be really helpful for you because we're going to be non-preachy and non-judgmental and allowing you to have the full range of emotions. We're not expecting you to be a calm, gentle, all together, every time, doing the right thing with your child. That is nice to be calm, but it's hard to do that every day, especially when you're busy or stressed out or have a lot on your plate. So we're going to talk about emotional intelligence and defining what it is and how our children read our emotions and how we can help them to feel safe. We think about the emotional demands placed on parents now, the pressure to be perfect and how it's more important to aim for the good enough emotional nurturing. Because when we give emotion a a space or a voice, it softens it and your child's emotional reaction isn't as strong. So we're going to think about feelings as human and helping you acknowledge them. And really don't miss out on Dr. Anne Lane's humanity and vulnerability at the end of the episode when I ask her for the pause, purpose, play reflections as I do every single time. So welcome back to the episode and let's get started. Welcome to the podcast, Anne. I'm really happy to have you here. We've already had a bit of banter going into it, so I'm already feeling my spirits are lifting. So welcome to the podcast. It's lovely to be here, Michaela. I feel like we're going to, you know, come into this with the idea of talking about nurturing your child's emotional intelligence. But 
also actually nurturing ourselves and our own emotional intelligence as part of that. So we were discussing how this episode is definitely going to be relative, uh, relevant to someone who is not a parent as well. Maybe that you feel that your inner child needs a bit of uh, nurturing around their emotions as well. So we hope to also bring you a bit of a rebellion around it. We, uh, we were having some laughs around it as well. So this is not going to be a preachy. We now have figured it all out and we know exactly how to parent. If anything, I was telling Anne that I'm going to be taking away a lot of notes here for my own home life um, with one of my children. So we're not here to be better than anyone else. Absolutely. No, I, that's very close to my heart. I, we are all equals in this world. We're all muddling through. It's messy. It's difficult. It's lovely. Yes. And that's obviously very much on brand for this podcast about learning as you go along and aiming for progress, not perfection. So we're going to talk about that a lot today and having an element of compassion as part of this, that when we make mistakes and how we can repair. So I'm really, really excited to dive in. And a lot of the conversation today is going to be focused around Anne's fantastic new book called Nurture Your Child's Emotional Intelligence five steps to help your child cope with big emotions and build resilience. So we're going to th think about that a lot. But before we kind of go into the intricacies of the book, tell the listeners a little bit about your own journey of, of working with emotional intelligence. How did you come into that as a passion? Oh, Michaela, that's an interesting question. <laughs> so I, I'm a clinical psychologist and have worked with adults, children, older adults, uh, people with learning disabilities for years and years and years and as a clinical psychologist funnily enough you don't get taught too much about emotions you get taught about behaviors and how to change behaviors how to change our thinking but not really about emotions and emotions are such the big presence in the room around anything so over the years as I've uh, worked with people and supervised other psychologists what we've really begun to, to look for is what the emotion in the room is saying. So I might uh, hit someone who really uh, meet someone who really hits a, a brick wall, uh, can't change things in their life, really stuck. And normally the, the, the thing we really need to hear from and grapple with is the emotion that's present, that sometimes is silenced through shame or fear or just a, just not being allowed to really be expressed. So my my journey to that has actually been quite slow and quite late. And I laugh, I think probably about 15 years ago, I'd describe myself as a behaviourist. <laughs> now the absolute opposite is true, Michaela. I mm. love emotions. I love the colourful, the difficult, the obstinate, the hysterical. The more those things are present in the room with us, the, the more we can work, the more we can open up, the more we can understand each other and ourselves. Mm, so exciting to think about how we how we pivot. Uh, and, you know, I can't think of the word pivot without seeing Ross Geller in Friends going up the so with the sofa around the, around the staircase. And I mentioned that before, you know, the pivot. And I think that's part of learning as well. That actually, what am I really passionate about? Why does this matter to me? It's connecting that to our values. So when we think about emotional intelligence, you know, why does that matter to someone who's realized herself that maybe she has a lot of emotions? You, you mentioned before that you have a very broad range. Why does emotional intelligence matter? Uh, why do we need to know about this? Um, can you start by defining what it is and then we'll think a little bit about why it matters? Yes. So um, emotional intelligence is the ability to notice, 
respond to and communicate about the, the feelings we're experiencing. It's the ability to make use of those feelings um, and, and, and build a sort of more uh, connected, intimate life with ourselves and with others around us. So emotional intelligence really feels at the heart of everything because once we understand how we're feeling, we can begin then to shift our perspectives, shift our, our, our way of relating to the world. It gives us the essential ingredient for getting on with our life and, and reaching out to people and feeling purposeful and feeling loving and feeling safe in the world. Mm. So there's a lot about that tuning in to also be able to tune out, as in tune, tune outwards outside of you. Yes. Once we are able to tune into how we feel, it becomes more easy to then give other people the time and the space and allow them their own experiences. So it's a sort of a, a, a getting bigger in life. It's, it's giving ourselves more space for our own emotions and, and listening to those, but also allowing other people to be who they are, to have their own preferences, to have their own feelings, to react in different ways and feeling safe with that. Not just safe, thrilled by that. <laughs> mm. You know, how interesting you're feeling differently to me. How, how touching that, that you've been honest with me about how you feel. How uh, can I give you more time? How can I give you more space? How can I be kinder to myself? So it's a mm. it's much richer life when we're emotionally intelligent in our, in our approach to it. Mm, so a lot of welcoming in the emotion rather than shaming or blaming that actually we're having a you know curious uh, rather than a furious approach to the emotions and, and making it safe. I guess that's really difficult when we have a child present with big feelings, lots of emotions going on. You know, in our household, we talk about volcanoes, yeah. you know, sort of storms and volcanoes because I'm quite, I'm quite the volcano. And uh, you alluded to that before we started recording as well, that we, you know, I have a broad register of emotion. That's partly why I think I'm very good at what I do for a living. So it's a, uh, it serves me well, but sometimes it trips me up. There are unintended consequences to my emotions. Uh, and I see the same in my children or, you know, the older one. So I wonder if you can think about that. What does that mean then when we sit with our child? If we are emotionally intelligent as a parent, what does that look like? So um, emotions are very sort of uh, transmissible. We really pick them up quickly. So before we learn to speak, we learn to read our parents' emotions. So we respond much quickly to the underlying emotions in a situation and to what's said. So when we're with our, our children, we get a lot of feedback from them as to how they're feeling. But often their feelings are big and quick and immediate and they have difficulty understanding them. So we are, we are tasked really with trying to understand how they're feeling, how to put it into words, how to help them feel safe, but also express these feelings. And when you're a parent, I think everyone knows it's extremely demanding sometimes to be the main translator for someone else's emotions all the time. And to have that, that sense that we're the one who has to steady all of those emotions. So it's not enough to steady our own emotions. We're suddenly meant to be steadying our child's emotions. And I know as a mother, because I've got three children, that that can be sometimes quite exhausting. Simply the emotions through people falling over in our household can take up 50% of my time. 
I find myself, you know, cooking the dinner, someone else has fallen over, someone else has banged their head, someone else has uh, uh, caught their finger in a door. And that, just that level of emotional sort of processing and <laughs> easing can take up a lot of time. But not only that, but we are tired. We are demanded of, we perhaps have uh, other jobs, plus trying to parent our children. So there are, there's an enormous emotional demand on us, Michaela. Mm. And when we are, what we're trying to do is not to do a perfect job. We're trying to help our child just with some of those, some of those. So there are many, many emotions that your child will be trying to manage or express during the day. And we're just trying to take a little bit of time to some, for some of those to give them a bit of time and a bit of space. So it's not a job of perfection. It's a job of some, sometimes noticing an opportunity, giving that particular emotion a voice and a bit of space. Because when we give it a voice and we give it some space, it slows down. It becomes much less panicky, much less fearful, much easier for your child to bear and for you to bear as well. So it's, so it's actually helping your child with emotional intelligence actually help gives, give you an easier, more comfortable life, ultimately, which mm. is what we all want, don't we? Well, that's really difficult to do for, I mean, I can't speak for everyone who's listening, but for the women of our generation who've been raised to be good girls, to be, you know, to be quiet and not necessarily make a fuss. And we look at emotions like anger has often not been allowed in, in women of our age. Um, I'm hoping that the next generation is going to be a bit more rebellious and, and outspoken and set stronger boundaries. But we obviously have people pleasing and things like that. So I know that there's a lot of shaping of how you were raised as a child and how difficult that that makes you to be able to make space for your children's emotion. Can you say anything about that, of the, the link between the past and the present? Well, it's such an important point, Michaela. I'm really glad you brought that up. So... I was raised in an Irish Catholic family and I remember being read a book by my absolutely gorgeous mother <laughs> about how to be a little Mary. And the idea <laughs> is that you were quiet and you were polite and you were always calm <laughs> and always gentle and accepting. Now, my mother was the opposite person, but she dearly felt that she should imbue that, you know, imbue us with this skill that she'd somehow not managed. <laughs> but we were like my mother so we were all kind of opinionated and boisterous and um loving but you know fiery personalities so there was that sense that this wasn't somehow acceptable which leads to kind of an, a, a seesawing you know sometimes it, it comes out in a in a in a, a sort of a, a big tight tense bundle of opinions and upset and distress and anger and other times it's kept in which is, is, is quite difficult to manage. It, it feels quite shaming if you're the one who's suddenly been unreasonably angry or self-important or conceited or all of the other sort of uh, things that, that I, I suppose I, I learned as a, a child. And then when we come to be mothers, we, we kind of uh, absorb the same message, don't we, that we should be gentle and calm and accepting and peaceful and non-demanding, you know, not have any of our own needs. And so as we uh, we begin then to parent like that, and the effect that has is also to make us very aware of when our child's behaviour is not gentle or uh, polite or, uh, you know, accepting or grateful. And that can feel very difficult. That can feel like we failed if our child then fails to also 
be these things, especially in public, where we all know that feeling where the child who is quiet. My children, when they were quiet and when they were playing well, the amount of comments I'd get from other people saying, oh, they're very good children. You've done a very good job. Isn't this good? Haven't you done well? Mm, Well behaved. Yes, you really absorb that idea, don't you, that their behaviour is a reflection of me. It's a reflection of our goodness, our okayness. When they're not behaving, when they're tired, when they're hungry, when they're jealous, when they are um, sad, when they are grumpy or despondent, that that's not okay. That's not okay. That's a failure on, on my part as a mother and perhaps them as children. So as parents, we really are trying to work these things through our system and letting these things go, becoming a sense of human beings have bodies that get tired that get hungry we have emotions that need seeing to we get jealous because we want something we get angry because we can't bear something and it's trying to make space for all of those things and let go of that judgment that kind of rather quite tight view of what we should be and what our children should be because it it does Mm. it, it goes from us to our children and we all get rather stuck with this model and it it's such a shame it doesn't need to be we're not failures because we get angry or sad or jealous. <laughs> We're full human beings. And it's really worth pointing that out, you know, actually slowing that down and saying, again, you are not a failure as a parent because you have human emotions and the full register of that. So if you're listening and you think, oh, I lost my shit again, or I shouted at my kid this morning, I was angry. You know, actually, I, I try to explain this to my child as, you know, our home is a little bubble, uh, like a little, you know, image of the world and we practice things in the bubble so we can also go outside that bubble and practice that with other people so if you're being really unkind and rude and horrible to other people then they won't want to be with you either so they will feel irritated so if I'm feeling irritated in this moment by something you did to me if you hit me or whatever then that's also um, um, a mirroring of what may happen in other social relationships so I think that's where we think the downfall to being saintly and calm and gentle with your child at all times because the rest of the world will not be. Exactly. That's such an important point. What we're doing is we're trying to help them work through different emotions with us so that when they meet the demands of people who just won't give them that time or won't uh, allow them to express how they're feeling or won't accept a particular behaviour, they can understand it. They can regulate their emotions a bit better but not to feel ashamed of something, not to feel ashamed, not to close up, but they have a kind of good base for really understanding how they felt, what they expressed, but also are able to manage some of their own behaviours. So mm-hmm. I am not for one moment saying that if my children are out and they are um, actually doing things, I think, will either frighten other people or disturb them or, or create problems. I'm very keen on them really understanding that and understanding that, you know, don't run in front of the older lady with the walking stick. (laughs) You look up and you say, thank you to the lollipop lady. So I really want them to have that sense of other people and respect for other people, but also not to feel like the world is crashing down if they're not behaving wonderfully. Or, uh, or to have to use, because I think sometimes if we feel really upset by our children's behaviour, we sometimes are so feel such pressure that we are left with only, only able to sort of shame them to try and change it. It's that sort of emergency measure, isn't it? If I shame you, then I can really ensure that you won't do this in future. And actually that backfires. So I'm all about thinking how we can practically help our children manage their behaviour. 
and some of the things we do when we're under stress ourselves can can backfire and and, and tighten the, the tangles up a bit. But but yes, I absolutely I I think my children understanding that I'm a full person, I have needs, I have preferences, is beneficial to them. Mm. So you you mentioned this the shame thing can backfire there. I wonder if we can touch on that a little bit more to explain that to people of what we mean or what you mean in your book when you think about helping your child understand their emotions and sitting with them compassionately. Can you go into that a bit more? Yes. So um, I know that I, 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 I'm, I'm thinking of a particular incident with my children. We had a lovely um, friend's daughter who was helping me out for a morning. She was going to take my three to the park and they didn't want to go to the park. They wanted to stay in with their dens. So when she came and she was very gentle and very sweet and I remember them saying, I don't, one of them saying, I don't want to go to the park. And I could see her feeling a little bit panicked. You know, she didn't know what to do. <laughs> In my effort, my emergency effort to make this, sort this out, I remember taking one of them to the other room and saying, you do not, you know, you do not say that. That is spoilt and that is silly. <laughs> you know, doing all my best, Michaela, to sort of <laughs> imprint on them that this was not okay. They had to get out there. They had to be pleasant and cheerful and, and you know. So sometimes there's that effort when we're feeling a bit overwhelmed as parents or when we really want to get something done very quickly of shaming a child. So we want to kind of really instill this, you, you just not, that's spoilt, you're silly. Now, what happened then is that the child I was talking to got more and more tight and more silly <laughs> and more wound up, which made the situation even harder to deal with. And there were lots of sort of hushed crosswords and me feeling absolutely furious. Now, if in that same situation, as I've done on other occasions, if I say, let me have a little chat to, you know, blah, I'm going, and I say to the, the, the person who's looking after them, let me have a little chat. And I take that person away and saying, you're having a difficult time. You don't want to go out to the park this morning. You love your dens. Actually, I can achieve the same aim really quickly, but with much less stress, much less sort of build up of, of tension. Um, because when we say to a child, your emotions make sense, the way you feel makes sense. I understand it. I get it actually that emotion has been expressed then it doesn't need to keep dancing on the ceiling or screaming itself out loud it's been expressed it's been acknowledged and actually what I noticed with my children with lots of other children I work with that then their emotions just soften they soften edge down mm. and maybe they feel a bit sad about not going out about not staying in because because they wanted to do something they were expecting to do something different but it's softened and they're more able to sort of adjust and adapt when I've done the work of expressing their emotions for them so it's, it's so helpful sometimes if we're working with emotions is to sometimes just be a bit slower in how we work with them. Acknowledge the difficulty our child's having. Acknowledge their, their feelings. And, and everyone has the right to feel the way they feel about something. They don't necessarily have a right then to, to stop everyone going out that morning. <laughs> they don't have a right to, to make it really difficult for the babysitter, but they've got a right to have their feelings acknowledged and expressed. And the magic of doing that means that, that, that they just soften in and they shift. So does that mean that the, the request or the demand, because sometimes they just have to do what they're told, um, depending on the context, obviously, sometimes we can be flexible and, and shift back and say, well, actually, just leave the park today. That doesn't matter. But sometimes it does matter. Uh, you know, obviously, we mm. talk about choosing, choosing your battles and things like that. But sometimes when it does matter, how can 
kind of nurturing your child's emotional intelligence in that moment help them go from A to B uh, if we need them to go to B, if it's a non-negotiable? How does that help in that moment? So what we are trying to do when we're nurturing our child's emotional intelligence is we're helping them learn about the world and reality and other people. So we don't want to give a forced representation of the world, that it's okay that we can step away from the world, that we don't have to do things that are hard. What we want to do is we want to help them orientate to how they're feeling, ease that feeling because it's given its communication. Now, I didn't want to go out. I wanted to stay in and do my den. And then start orientating to what's needed. And as the parent, we're the sort of sturdy leader. We're the person who shows them what's okay and what can happen. So we have to have a kind of sturdiness, a comfort around that. And it's like, I know it's really difficult. I know you wanted to stay in and we have to go out. And then we listen to the emotion around that. And we say, I know, it's so hard. It's so hard. And we're not sort of just, just blowing them off. We're just like acknowledging, yeah, I, in that situation, I can imagine if someone said to me now, you've got to go out and you've got to go for a walk. I imagine I'd feel a bit hard done by as well. But mm. that, but, and, and we need to go out is really helpful because it helps kids orientate. It's like, okay, we do have to do this. And their emotions then settle. The way we can sometimes help, because sometimes that's easy enough to do, you know, this expression of emotion and then it passes and we go out. At other times, children build up quite a level of resistance. So I do work, Michaela, with, with some kids who really, really struggle, are very highly sensitive kids, and they really struggle with not being in control of their day. So one of the things I go through in the book is how to sometimes break down things that kids maybe are not just not wanting to do, but have become frantic or scared around. So mm. I give examples of, of times when kids are maybe, they might be anxious about going swimming. So it's not just, I don't want to do this because I wanted to play at home or I wasn't expecting it. It's more like, I'm frightened of this. I really don't want to do this. And one of the ways in which we do that is we try and break things down to smaller steps and make them a little bit easier. So if your child was really, um, really not wanting to go on a bicycle, really actually quite worried about it, really resistant to the idea, sometimes I will say to a child, I acknowledge all of that fear and all of that worry. And I will try then to say to them, OK, let's take the demand down then. Let me give you a lot of emotional support and take the demand down a bit and say to you, OK, what about if we, I help you and hold you on the bike and you just have to ride it to the first tree? Then we'll leave it to the side. We'll go on our walk. We'll come back and you, that will be enough. So you're trying to break some things down that your child might be getting more anxious about. Reduce the demand but give them a little a little taste of doing things that are difficult just to try and help them steady. And we do that around all sorts of things like going to really loud birthday parties if kids are overwhelmed by, by noise and stimulation at those. We do it, we, we sort of dip our toe in and we try and, and do things regularly, small amounts, really keep our child feeling quite supported and steady, but help them really learn about the world and learn that things are not so um, anxiety provoking or difficult. And that's the emotional intelligence. The emotional intelligence is us building up a, a sense of what reality is like, how our emotions are, are experiencing this, and then trying to communicate safety. And then the child expresses how they feel. We acknowledge it. We see if they can break the task down and reestablish that sense of safety. So their emotions are updating. They're not just mm. stuck and frozen. 
Mm, that's really helpful because that can help them to experiment and and take a step out of the comfort zone. Um, because I think it's really worthwhile to point out that what you were trying to say when we discuss sitting with our children's emotions and acknowledging them and keeping them safe, that that doesn't mean that we allow them to be avoidant. You know, it doesn't mean that we allow them to have a very small world. It's just because that's not kind and compassionate. That no. It's helping them to find the courage to face those difficult feelings and taking small steps like you're showing there, you know, very action orientated can feel like, oh, well, actually that big demand is gone now. Maybe I can make it to that one tree. That's, that's all she's asking. And then the words that you used was enough. And I love that because that means our parenting is also allowing ourselves to be enough that I don't have to make this child crack. This It's not my job to make them fix this, fix the emotion. It's enough. And, and some children are, able have a sort of capacity to do lots of things and are quite sort of fearless and other children need to take things much more slowly become mm. overwhelmed more quickly so each of our children has a different sort of capacity but it's that sense aren't we that we're not just sometimes some emotions dominate so fear and anxiety are emotions which can tend to dominate but a real um, emotional intelligence is understanding that whilst we have fear we also have courage and it's helping our ch child sort of begin to connect with that feeling of courage. While we have anger, we also have a bit of sadness. So we're trying to get our children to shift around emotionally and become more agile so that they can actually move forward and respond to different things, not just the sort of big, strong emotion that dominates and gets stuck with that one. Mm. I find that really powerful when I label the sadness underneath my child's anger that you know you see the anger you see the outburst you see the the tricky behavior that you know to be honest pisses the adult off but if you go underneath it and find the sadness there is a softening to that as well and that's something I teach you know adult women to do with themselves that if you feel that you're very angry what are, what are you actually afraid of or are you actually sad about and often that can soften it so we can actually communicate what we really want underneath that when it's less prickly so these are skills, like I said in the beginning, that we need for ourselves as adults as well. So if you haven't been given that sort of scaffolding, that, that emotional nurturing yourself as a child, no wonder that this can be difficult when you butt heads with one of one or maybe several of your children, especially if they're headstrong or highly sensitive. So I think it's really important there with the compassion for yourself as well as for your children. So You've, your book is so excellent in that sense that it's not preachy or shaming. It's not saying you must always be X, Y, and Z. It's no should and must, must be calm, must be gentle. So I wonder if we can summarize those five steps that you, that you think about in the book. Um, I know this is a, a long question because it's like half the book, but you know, the five steps to help your child cope with big emotions and build resilience. Yes, so thank you, Michaela. There, there are five steps. So I, I give a kind of a bit of an introduction to emotions and emotional intelligence. And then I look at five particular steps for helping us through. And as you've said so perceptively, Michaela, these steps are just not to apply to your child's emotions, they're to helping us with our emotions at the same time. So the five steps, I'll, I'll go through them and then I'll try and just kind of summarise a bit. The first one is aim for simplicity encouraging acceptance, respond with compassion, increase playfulness, and contain and connect to difficult emotions. So when I talk about simplicity, sometimes in the modern age of psychology and emotions, 
we can get very complex. There's a lot of diagnosis out there. There's a lot of concern about very serious emotions. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to just get back to something very basic, which is our connection to our child. And that sense of our emotions can make our child feel safe or unsafe. So even if we have been very frustrated or angry or are upset, we can come back to emotions, reflect on them and make them safe for our child. And then, funnily enough, for ourselves through that. So the more we come back and we try and uh, repair and just keep things rather simple, not get too carried away in what we think about a behaviour, just, just attend to what is, the safer we all begin to feel. So the first step is responding in simplicity. I go through uh, various ideas that can make us feel quite complicated and <laughs> worried about emotion and how to just begin to un- uh, unpick that a little bit. The second step, which is encouraging acceptance, sometimes acceptance has got rather kind of bad name. And I give an example about it when I go to see, a, I go and do a sort of meditation retreat. And I have a very niggly, um, achy back at the time. And I uh, have got a, a, a sort of the guy who is supervising me. And I complain about my niggly back. And he um, seems to just coast over that. He seems to coast over that. He wants the emotions that we're experiencing to be much more sort of uh, enlightened, I think, than me complaining about my dodgy back. And so he, uh, I don't feel he's understood them or heard them. And so I keep insisting that my back is very, you know, uncomfortable, getting more and more babyish and grumpy about it. But the idea behind acceptance is that rather than see some emotions as acceptable, and some as not, <laughs> but we accept all emotions, we accept the grumpiness our own grumpiness, our child's grumpiness, our our kind of little tight emotions, and we welcome them with as bigger open arms as we do the kind of uh, bigger, nicer emotions, the joy, the intimacy, the connection. So it's kind of just really trying to make ourselves and our child feel much more um, fully human, accepting the fully human aspect. Now, the third step, which is uh, responding to compassion, was a bit of what I was just talking to you about, Michaela, that a bit where, like, while we accept all emotions, there's sometimes there is a need for change. So while we accept that our child is very frightened of water, we also know compassionately that we need to help them come to terms with water to feel more comfortable around it. So compassion is more about that going through that stage of how we help a child manage the more difficult emotions and move through them and help what I suppose we call regulate those emotions, begin to sort of make them feel easier and more manageable and not so dominant. The fourth step, which I think will hit a bit with your sort of podcast with, is increased playfulness. Now, Mm. one of the things I love most is being irreverent and silly uh, and just generally enjoying myself uh, in my parenting, not being so tight, not being so... um, not just managing my children, I suppose, because it gets pretty tiring, doesn't it? That bit where you're just managing their arguments and managing their their uh, hurt heads <laughs> and managing the meal times and managing the arguments. So being playful has been quite um, a, a great ingredient for me. And it connects well to emotional intelligence because when our emotions feel more relaxed, uh, more welcome, more accepted, when it doesn't feel like we're just being serious or tight, actually we we become more healthy 
and and I don't mean to be preachy with parents about you know you need to sit with your child and play with them for an hour a day that's not at all what I do in fact I find most games really quite uh, you know sitting a board game would drive me bananas hearing about Pokemon for the fifth hour running could, could make me start to cry and bang my head against a wall I mean just sometimes being silly being physically very affectionate with them, getting down on the floor with them, lying in bed with them, going under the, the, the duvet and making fart noises, anything. I just enjoy that connection. And that general background sense of emotions can be joyful and silly and we can all um, talk as, as equals around this. That really seems to engage kids. So kids don't do language as well as us and they can get a bit lost with it. But when we play and we enjoy ourselves with them, they find their own way of communicating. We come down to their level more and we let go of the sort of seriousness we can often bring to to life. Now, I I hope everyone's staying with me here. I'm going to do the, the last step which is about containing and connecting to difficult emotions. And I felt I couldn't write a book without really acknowledging that there are some of our children's emotions which can be frightening and difficult to manage. And I think sometimes in our efforts to um, have a sort of a a lovely, warm, gentle, harmonious family life, sometimes we also lose that sense of ourselves as we have to be the sturdy leaders around our children. We have to be able to cope when their emotions are really big and dysregulated when they are perhaps being violent or aggressive or very hurtful, we have to have a sense of being able to respond to that from a place of security. Helping our child manage those emotions and begin to have conversations which bring in that sense of emotional intelligence. And as soon as we're having conversations around emotions, our children's behaviour tends to get less disruptive. So When emotions are being expressed through language and through connection and through sturdiness, our child leans less on those sort of behaviours which are trying to control or provoke or express really difficult things. Mm, It's really interesting how emotion and behaviours are linked there. And when we when we help them to feel seen and heard, when they can voice the emotion, there's there's less of a need to ramp up. I guess validation is a key there. I mean, obviously I work with, with couples as well as individuals, and this is something I see very uh, commonly between couples as well. And we, we're not talking about children there, we're talking about adults who dysregulate, who lose their shit uh, when the other person does not validate and see their emotion as valid. Yes. I, I understand that you feel that way. You don't have to agree with with what they're feeling and see it the same way in order for it to be their truth, so to speak. Um, so I find that very important to think. What would I what would I say to uh, to my staff? You know, as 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 a boss, what would I say as a leader? You know, how would I make them feel if they, these were co-workers in in the office? How would I make them feel if I spoke to them the way I can sometimes speak to my child? And that catches me sometimes. And the same thing if I spoke to my partner the way I've just spoken to my child. Hmm, how would that feel? And I think it's really easy to get into that language because, again, coming full circle to the 80s and 90s parenting styles, especially 80s, I suppose, which has been a lot more authoritarian than what we think about today. It can be really hard to allow yourself to sit with the emotion. And I'm going to bring some wisdom in here from a previous guest, um, Catherine Hallisey, um, who's a parenting expert, uh, for anyone who wants to listen to her episode. And she talks about how, well, actually, it doesn't take you any longer 
to get down on their level and meet the emotion than it would take to to have the argument. You know, often we say, I don't have the time to sit there and discuss this. Well, how long would you debate about which shoes they're going to wear be wearing for school? You know, you just spend 15 minutes doing that. You might as well spend 15 minutes connecting. And that's that's something that sort of stayed with me uh, whenever I get caught up in my busyness, like we all do. Yes, you, 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 you start seeing how quickly things escalate when we don't step back <laughs> and start bringing that sort of uh, that sense of what's really going to work here. I mean, and to be honest, Michaela, there are some days, aren't there, where we're just too tired, too stretched, to to regulate ourselves enough to do that. And yeah. I always come back to it uh, quite frequently. I'll, I'll say to my children as they come in from school, I say, "Let's just sit on the stairs. Let's all sit down together." And I say, "I'm really sorry. Mummy was really cross and grumpy this morning." And they they love that, Michaela. They love to tell me how cross and grumpy I was. So they'll say. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, you were really cross this morning, mummy. You were really cross and you got really grumpy with me and I didn't like it and I was just trying to find my other book. And so there's that repair afterwards where I can mm. search around and go, yes, what happened? And I said, yes. And I was I was watching the time and I was feeling really panicked we weren't going to get it. And then I just felt cross. And they say, yes, and it's not fair. So sometimes just that talking about it afterwards mm. helps us as parents then to bring some regulation to our emotions. So the next morning when that happens and they still, you know, refuse to read the reading book and they want to find the other one, we're prepared for it. We're almost like, oh, I recognize this. What happened yesterday morning? Did I want that to happen? And I can say to my children as well, oh my goodness, I think we might be doing what we did yesterday morning. What are we going to do? Mm. Let's have a think about this. Sure, we, you know, if you've got two minutes now to find that book, but if you can't, I think you're going to have to read the book you brought from school and just just begin to recognise things. So we're, we're almost, it's like giving ourselves a sort of vaccination against just losing our shit again. It's like, mm-hmm. right, this is, this is what happened last time. You bring that sort of steadiness to it. But yes, it, there's a lot of that needing to steady ourselves so that we can steady our child and, and sometimes feeling like I, I don't want to have to keep steadying myself. But other times thinking, actually, I, I know how to do this now. I'm, I'm getting mm-hmm. better at this. I, I recognise what I need to do and I think it will work. And that's so heartening. I feel so much saner sometimes than going around in the same loops every morning or every evening. Absolutely. And that bringing some wisdom from past experience that actually, we know that this doesn't work. But but again, also that compassion for how hard it is to change something, even though you know, it doesn't work, you know, you might have had the wisdom, but still, still don't have the strength or the courage to actually do something about it. And especially my heart goes out to anyone who's battling an older child and, and also sleep deprived with a baby. Like, oh, my, my God. My current oh, situation. Gosh, my, my, my heart goes out to, to you and anyone else in that. I think it's, it's that it's almost remembering ourselves in other contexts like you said what would it be like if I was at work how would I deal with this at work how would people respond we remember another version of ourselves don't we as well (laughs) one that Mm. felt felt like we were given more space to think things through and I think you know we're not just mothers are we we've got such a lot of life experience as well Mm. that we can draw on and bring to this and this then I think will feed back into our working lives because once you've been able to do this in that situation where you're sleep deprived, I'm not sure anyone can do that when they're sleep deprived, frankly, but you know, in tough situations, you can go back, can't you? I often see, you know, uh, women in, in business who are parents and I think, oh yes, <laughs> you've been trained at high altitude for <laughs> this mm-hmm. environment. 
you know how to manage all of this this rubbish <laughs> because you've had to do a lot of thinking a lot of processing in your own home life yeah it's a trial by fire isn't it um and it's also I guess thinking about the the brain structures the changes in our brains uh, when we become mothers uh, you know i was reading in carolyn boynt's uh, new book uh, mindful new mum but how the level of empathy increases vastly when you become a parent and lasting for about two years. So no wonder that you can also be more sensitive to your child's strong emotional outbursts, you know, the empathy, you know, our radar, our spider sense changes. So there's a lot of, of time of day that I have for, for women who tell me that I can't be a gentle parent every day. You know, I, that's just not me. I feel like I'm failing. Because it's not, that's not the idea here. It's not that you are always calm, but it's like you're saying the steadiness is, is the willingness, you know, that we would use within acceptance and commitment therapy. We talk about willingness to sit with it, willingness to invite the emotion in, willingness to apologize for a mistake you made, willingness to repair. There's, there's a lot of that. Whereas we think about if we shame ourselves for our emotions, like, you know, I shouldn't have sh- shouted at my kid or I shouldn't have lost my shit. Mm. If you shame yourself like that, saying I'm a crap parent, you struggle to go and do the repair because the repair means you have to face your own shame. Mm. I think that's it. We want to tighten against ourselves, don't we? And restrict ourselves and pull ourselves in. But actually, it's that opening up. I, I, I see it. Life is such a, a sort of adventure, isn't it? It's such a journey. It's so much for us to learn about and explore and discover. And the more open hearted we can be about our own difficulties, our own mistakes, our own imperfections, the more we learn from those. So, so I think every single time I've messed up has been the time I've learned the most. As long as I didn't respond to it with shame and tightening. The more I was curious about that, the more I accepted my own humanity, the more I could learn from it. And I, and I, I, I think it's such an enormous privilege sometimes to be around so many little people in my life learning each day. And, and like you say, that empathy, that increase in empathy we get. So we are highly feeling <laughs> when, we are, when we are mothers, aren't we? You just get that, that extra dose of feeling so that you are you were able to learn more there was a there was a great um remember my, my kids were watching an episode of a, a tv program about kids all around the world and there was a mother and son in canada and she was teaching him to ice skate so she took him out to this lake which was frozen and she did up his ice skates and she did up his coat and then she said very gruffly to him she said sort of pulled him in she said how do you learn to skate and he said i don't know i don't know she said how do you learn to skate I don't know. He said, you fall over. He said, and you fall over and you fall over and then you fall over a little bit less. And that's how you learn. And, you know, she was this brilliant, you know, non-gentle, <laughs> non-people <laughs> parent. She was vigorous. She was alive. But she was giving him a really important, sturdy lesson, which is like, the way we learn is we just mess up constantly. And then we mess up slightly a bit less. <laughs> slightly another area, but we're learning more. Uh, and that's how we, we become more human, more alive, more emotionally intelligent is through our messing up. And I so agree with you, Michaela, about that peaceful parent, gentle parent. There feels something about it that just doesn't feel like it describes enough. It, 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 feels, it feels too too narrow. I want our parenting to be really vigorous, wide, full of, full of adventure, miss-ups, difficulties, opportunities, full of learning. And full of full of our own personality, really. Because so I've never met a I don't I can't think of too many women I've met who were just peaceful and gentle. <laughs> really? 
We have, no, we've got enough to be angry about. <laughs> you know, the, the the patriarchy. We can still be angry. So yeah, I don't. I don't want to be peaceful. I'm. It'd be quite strange, wouldn't it, just to meet whole tribes of peaceful, gentle mothers, and and what that might do. And I, 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 it's it's mm, yes. Yeah, that's a lot. And I'm getting a brainwave of sort of a, an image here of sort of pottery you know you sit down with a piece of clay I don't know if you've had to do that in school I had to do that in art class and you get this sort of image that you know when people start pottery they're gonna sit there with that slab of clay as sort of you know as if you're gonna just interact with Patrick Swayze in, in a sort of sexy sensual scene and make these perfect pottery and in reality it's a right mess you know it's you know it's <laughs> one slight wrong move and you ruin the whole thing and it all collapses in on itself. And I think that parenting is a little bit like that. It's going to take a lot of time sitting down with the clay, molding it in your hands to feel like you're, you know what you're doing. I wonder if that's, a, does that resonate with you? It does, but all I was thinking is, our oh, children also too, that they're, they're, they're quite specific shapes, aren't they? So I was thinking yeah. about all three of mine are such different people. All my nieces, nephews, such individuals, myself, my sisters, my brother, such different people and I was thinking they also have their own shape don't they so you're mm. you're not only there trying to 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 work through some situations where they're quite they go in all sorts of directions you're completely right but also yeah. too there's that essential really learning to um to be open to what our child is like whether they are going to be a quiet gentle soul <laughs> probably not mm. all the time or whether they're going to be loud and boisterous or, mm. or maybe they they are going to be uh, someone who likes their own space and time and doesn't want to be interacting too much or sometimes they are full throttle underneath your feet every moment of the day so there, there's that there's that learning also isn't there as to what shape they come in and mm, how best to, to work with that particular material because I'm, I'm sure a, any good potter would tell you that some clay responds in some ways and other clays <laughs> Yes. but at the end of the day you, you end up with three different crucibles if you have three children yes they're all able to be used as a cup you know they're all able to to be poured into with love connection and even though they look very different i know i'm going off here on this metaphor but I, I think it sort of it gives us that permission that you know regardless if you apply effort and you know attempts and they may still do whatever they want to do. Um, that's often the case with children. Even if you think, oh, I'm just going to apply some more water or I'm going to just mold it a bit here, actually they are still not yours to mold. You know, They are their own individuals because adults are. Why wouldn't our children have personalities? So there's a lot of permission giving to yourself that you know it's not my job to fix. It's not my job to mold them into these model citizens. Actually, I can give them as many tools as possible and then set them off on their merry way. So it's difficult. It's making me think of Barbara Hepworth. She used to say you get your some material, so she'd get sort of a big block of, um, I don't know, maybe granite, and she'd say you, you discover the shape it wants to be. <laughs> I think I quite like that. You know, you're sort of, you're, you're learning more and more about them, aren't you? And sort of, yes, absolutely, absolutely, Barbara Hepworth will shape that block. But it was, she said, it was such a communication between the block. Anyway, we are going off on the tangent on that one. No, but it's it's a it's a funny one, and I think that's very apt for uh, for um you know our playfulness that it's okay to not have a complete script for everything. You know, we had to do that in art class as well. Clearly, I've got I've got memories from art class um, of that block, and I remember when I got given that assignment. That tells you something about my little rebel streak as well. I kept chipping away at it, you know, having chisel and hammer, and it's like 
being being this instruction that something will materialize if you keep sort of molding it uh, you'll be left with something that is art <laughs> and I just kept chipping away at it and nothing happened and me my one of my equally rebellious mates in the class we went outside and he thought let's just throw it and then at least going to chip quicker so we just went out in the woods and just got rid bashed of them it. <laughs> um, bashed it um so I got given a good mark for effort because uh, I claimed that someone stole it um <laughs> <laughs> that gives you away a little bit that you know the rebellion streak you make um but we're all about we're all about permission here and how it's okay to to not have all the answers and it's okay to occasionally break the rules a little bit and that's about psychological flexibility so I've, I've really enjoyed this chat that you know understanding more about how nurturing your child's emotional intelligence isn't about being rule governed and scripted and must do it like this it's much more of a flow it's a dance, it's a back and forth, and it's a really messy. Yes, it's it's it, it's a fully human process, which means it is going to going to be more than we could ever ever conceive of in our, our little minds. It's I love the idea of it's just we, we we build intimacy with our child, we build experiences, and we just grow. Everyone just grows. We get bigger. So I suppose mm-hmm. unlike our our model our our sculptures, we get bigger rather than smaller. Yeah, nice idea. I love I love that. And you've given away a lot of vulnerability already, you know, opening up and about your own parenting. But what I ask everyone at the end of our chat is obviously thinking about pause, purpose and play. And let's think about pausing, you know, how how do you switch off? You know, you've just released a book. I'm sure that there's a lot going on. How do you find time to rest or recover or just pause? I am a, a chronic overthinker. <laughs> and I love being busy. I love ideas, Michaela. And while I'm at home, I'm full of ideas and busyness uh, and thoughts is to go out for long walks. So I go out. So if, I, if I'm working at home, I will go out this afternoon for an hour and I will just walk to try and just get some space. No one walking with me. No one saying, mama, mama, <laughs> no demands. <laughs> No messages on my phone, just that ability just to completely switch off. So I'll do that whether it rains or shines. I need that space just to get back. But but it, 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 that, that's my pause. And the only one I've worked that consistently really works for me is that just no demands, just light, just being outside. Mm, I love that. And we know that the bilateral stimulation of walking can be really helpful to calm a very worrying, busy mind as well and get clarity in whatever you're thinking about. I often do that when. I have a problem to solve or I'm kind of at a creative roadblock that I just go out for a walk and sometimes you, things come to you when you sort of quiet the mind a bit. What about purpose then? You know, we talked a little bit about your journey into working more with emotional intelligence, but, you know, the purpose of being a psychologist, you know, writing this book, you know, what what's that journey been like for you? I love learning new things I love discovering new things I like connection with other people intimacy and I suppose writing this book has meant that I was constantly learning while I was writing which was such a thrill it was such a thrill to really really explore these ideas more deeply but it's also been a way of sort of connecting back to my different experiences so I write a lot in the book about um, the different people I've worked with the different families uh, my own experiences and it's been that that sort of just having time to really um, process what's happened in my life and how it might be useful to people and then there were just the connections it's made like 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 this connection here Michaela speaking mm. to you 
hearing about your um, art class and you going out and bashing it, which I can really relate to, (laughs) that we don't have to be good girls. We don't have to be any one thing. We don't have to adhere to a very tight way of being as mothers, as women, as people. We can be thoroughly complicated and ourselves and we can do things in all sorts of different ways so it's 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 been that it's been the connections the memories the learning it's it's been fantastic Mm, and that gives me a little insight into your values there as well that you know we're talking about connection and and learning and growth that actually that that can be very purposeful for us having a clear idea of the values and how does that then lead into play because we talked about playfulness a bit and how we can be more playful with our children but what do you do to play for for you what's fun or creative or innovative for you I love storytelling Michaela I love like I love the the stories I tell when I write I like drawing little pictures my Instagram account love doing the pictures for the posts love thinking up a new idea for a way to explain things to people that's my play is art, writing, storytelling. Mm. Really, really love that aspect of, of, of communicating about psychology and ideas and emotions. You can really see that on your Instagram account as well. I think that's possibly how we first got talking because I reached out to you and chatted to you about your reels. I thought they were so good. And uh, so I think that's how we got talking to begin with. So Yes, yeah, so anyone who doesn't follow you on Instagram, do you want to just mention your handle so they can find you? Oh, thank you, Michaela. It's Dr. Anne Lane. So that's D-R-dot-Anne-A-N-N-E-L-A-N-E. Brilliant. And then you can watch all of these non-preachy um, <laughs> reels that you have, which is a little bit more about the reality of the, the messy life we're in. So we do have to draw it to a close, even though I could sit here all day, talk about art classes and things, but I'm quite aware that, you know, I have an hour to do what I'm purposefully sort of here to do, which is... Um, talking to you whilst my my dad is out with my baby for a walk so I know time is of the essence I just want to draw it to a close with the final thing that we do which is giving the listeners either a a permission to take away or a pressure to take off them what would that be one of the um, biggest pressures I want to take off people's shoulders is that if they for them to not know what to do at any one point so people often feel that they should know how to respond to a situation with their child they should know what to say they should know whether something's right or not and I want to say that there is no pressure to know in the moment in fact the moment is really difficult for doing anything other than listening being aware and learning you can say to your child mommy doesn't know what to do right now so if they say mommy I hate you or I won't have a bath say mommy doesn't know what to do and you can sit with them and just ponder and wonder and I think the same thing happens for me is if I'm really cross I'll say I don't know what to do I feel so cross at the moment or so frustrated so it's just taking off that pressure in the moment to do something exceptional or right or to change everything take that pressure off yourself leave yourself time learn to just talk openly about not knowing not having all the answers and just ease into situations I love that because it's it's also using that wisdom that once you realize which obviously as psychologists we do but we don't often practice is that when the emotional brain is switched on when you know the part of the brain that is controlling your angry outburst for instance when that is really tuned up, then your problem solving is tuned down and you can't know what to do because you can't access your frontal lobes. So I find that sort of, even though I know that, it's really hard to remember it in the moment. 
So I think that I love that that pressure to take off them and it's giving you permission at the same time to not know and to just sit with that. So it's been a really lovely conversation and I hope it's been helpful for those who are not parents uh, as well. And there's obviously a range of things to try and the, the learning from the stories in your book as well, I think has been really helpful. The, having sort of the example dialogues are really good because these tools can become very abstract, but you've made them quite concrete in your in your book as well. So um, I would recommend it to anyone listening. It looks like a great, uh, great tool. So I hope you're going to do really well with it. Thank you so much, Michaela. That's really kind of you. And it's been a complete pleasure. Thank you for coming on. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this episode, dear listener. And knowing that even if you're not a parent, understanding emotional intelligence and acknowledging your feelings is really important anyway. It starts with you. And I hope you felt that this was not a shaming and blaming and aiming for perfection in your parenting in order to nurture your child's emotional intelligence. That is not the message that neither Anne nor myself would like you to have. And circling back to what I said in the beginning, I am very grateful that you guys are still supporting me. I'm loving all the DMs I'm receiving on Instagram, letting me know what the podcast has done for you. Some of you have told me it's been absolutely life-changing and getting you through the pandemic. So don't be a stranger. Do let me know that you've shared the podcast to someone or what is given for you. You're also more than welcome to send me a DM on Instagram. I'm at the underscore Thomas underscore connection. So link up with me, send me messages, let me know how Paul's Purpose Play is making you feel. And until I speak to you next time, do take care of yourself. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode. I know it's not easy when you feel busy and overwhelmed to find time for another thing to do. If this is you, if you feel overwhelmed or that you are close to your breaking point, then I've got a downloadable checklist for you that's going to help. This checklist is called Calm the Overwhelm. The first section has signs and symptoms of you being overwhelmed mentally or physically showing you that you might be close to breaking point or burning out. The second part is actionable, easy things you can do to try to slow down and give yourself a break. And the third part is a checklist of all the things that might show up when you're asking yourself to take a break. Perhaps your inner critical voice will have an opinion about why you're not allowed to give yourself the permission to pause. To download this free resource, go to www thethomasconnection.co.uk forward slash calm so that's thethomasconnection.co.uk forward slash calm this episode of the pause purpose play podcast was presented by me Michaela Thomas and you can find me on thethomasconnection.co.uk and because great work rests on having a great team This episode was kindly edited by Emily Crosby Media.